Uh, you know, one of those deals, you know, David Platt, I think some of you know, I, he and I are great friends actually in college. We were accountability partners for a couple of years, and, um, and it was really funny. I was going through a Charisma magazine one time or something, I was, and I was flipping a relevant magazine, slipping through, and all of a sudden there's David Platt's face, like front and center, like, oh, my gosh, it's David, he made it. I didn't, right? But it's... Um, no, just kidding. There's no such thing as Christian celebrity. That's an oxymoron, let me just say, okay? Uh, so anyway, but all that to say, he's really excited. And he's just a guy. I know a lot of you don't know him. He's this young guy stepped into this old traditional church. But that guy loves Jesus. I'm, I'm talking like, I'll never forget, he was a couple years younger than me. And I'll never forget, I mean, just the way he would, he, he just this, this challenge of being around him, the sincerity of heart, this pursuit of Jesus. Even he was speaking all over the nation as a junior in college. Just, it was just amazing to see how God was blessing him and doing things. And so when we sit down, and he's just an incredible Bible teacher. And so we're going to sit down with him on Friday night in his church and other churches around all over the nation, all over the world. And, and we're going to just, we're going to focus, and I don't hear, you hear this, we're going to focus on the cross. We're going to focus on the cross of Jesus for basically six hours. The book you're going through is like this. I mean, it's like we're going to get the theology of the cross, the practicality of the cross, what it means for us, what it meant, what it means, and what it will continue to mean. And so I want to invite you to come. I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know exactly how it's going to be and all that kind of stuff. I know we're going to have a good time. The people who are here have a great time. But our belief is that as you come and allow the truth the theology, the understanding of God through the cross, that it will change you forever. And so we do want to encourage you to come be a part of that. I re- Listen, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. to 1 a.m., I mean, I know some of you are in bed at like 9 o'clock, right? But you got Saturday to sleep, all right? So take the whole Saturday off. Don't plan anything. Come from 7 p.m. to 1 a.m., right? We'll go out to Waffle House afterwards if you want to. You can go with me, right? Gabe's got his hand up. Be good times, great times. Come, let's do it together. It'll be a lot of fun and focus on the cross of Jesus. I promise it will change you forever. All right, let's dive in this morning. Last week, if you were not here, I encourage you to listen to the message. We talked about the celebration that we can have about redemption, right? That told you. And redemption simply means this. It's the purchasing of one out of slavery for the purpose of setting them free. Okay, so redemption simply means I'm purchasing a slave on the trade block for the purpose of releasing their chains. Right. And to give them their papers and say, listen, you are now a free man. You are a free woman. Go right. You are free in the complete freedom to live your life. And so the idea for redemption, then, biblically speaking, is very simple, that we, too, uh, we were in chains. We were chained by the power of sin, and by the power of death. Jesus came in the reality of the cross, and he purchased us out of that slavery to the law of sin and to the law of death. And when he set us free, we were 100% free. And so we said last week, although sin is still in our world, although we still wrestle with the temptation of sin, we still still wrestle with the reality of sin being present in the world, 
it no longer is Lord over our life. It no longer has ultimate authority in our lives. Ultimately, its power has been removed and Jesus has taken his place as Lord over our lives and has set us free. And so the best that sin can do is sit outside of our lives and knock very loudly. And the only way that it can have authority again in your life is if you let it. Why? Because the enemy doesn't have power over Jesus and doesn't have power over those who were set free. Therefore, the only one who can give him authority again in their lives is them, you, me. We are the only ones who can give authority to sin again in our lives. And so we said last week, whether we feel it or not, the theological truth of the cross and the resurrection is that the power of sin and death has been conquered. And so every morning, no matter what you feel, theologically speaking, the biblical truth is it no longer has power and authority over you. We only have one master and one Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. And so we want to then awaken to that. And so listen to the message from last week, be encouraged by what God's doing, because the message of redemption is the it's, it's one of the messages of Easter. It's the message that we can wake up today with the, the joy and the celebration of knowing we are no longer bound by sin and by death. But through the cross and resurrection, we the power of those has been set. We've been set free from it. And we want to live every day dying to self, dying to the power of the enemy and living for Jesus and allowing his power every day to continue to uh, awaken us and encourage us to walk in victory. How many of you are not struggling with sin as much today as you were 10 years ago when you gave it to Jesus? And the reason being in our maturity and our growth, we all of a sudden begin to live for Christ and sin definitely is is so weakened that it loses its place in our life. So we want to live in the reality of redemption. And whether we feel it, I just say this, there are lots of things that I feel in my life that just aren't true. Right? I feel ugly and I'm not by God. Right? I feel old, but I'm not. Right? Seriously, lots of things I feel. But I want us to become a people. I want you to hear this. How many of you know the only way you dispel lies is by trading it with truth? Right? And how many of you know that Scripture is the truth of God's Word? And I want to encourage you to devour it and allow it to shape you, okay? So this morning, as we continue this lead up to Easter, the season of Lent, the season of preparation, the season of God kind of awakening us and doing away with things, we're going to move from redemption because we've all mastered it now to the, the, the language of reconciliation. From redemption to reconciliation. Easter, again, tells the work of redemption. It tells the, the work of, of reconciliation. Reconciliation is it's the restoring of harmony between two people who were formerly divided, right? Reconciliation, the restoring 
of harmony between two people who were formerly divided to restoration of relationship. And so each of us, if we were just, if we kind of, if we sat down one-on-one and had a coffee conversation this morning, and I talked about nature reconciliation and talked about people you felt who were, you felt were opposed to you and you felt at odds with and people who felt like enemies. I mean, you wouldn't use exactly that word, but if you were honest, I mean, that's kind of what they feel like sometimes in your life, this, this idea of this tension, this, this hostility, this division between you that all of you could probably name someone or some circumstance, whether it's present in your life or or past or something that's maybe shaped who you are today. And so we all understand probably and probably not hopefully, but probably in, in our lives, some sense of 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 this enemy of, of opposition this this hostility when i think about someone as the person I, I i i'm walking to the grocery store i see them like ah and you run the other direction right someone like that something with hostility in this division and so and the and the thing i want you to recognize is that when we talk about reconciliation in a biblical sense that we have to recognize the the history of humanity History of humanity, the, the, the history of humanity tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that we, before in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we were in perfect union with the Father. Like there was no division. There was no hostility. We had this perfect relationship. We felt loved and received loved and we gave loved and God felt love from us. That there was this perfect Union, walking with no hostility, no division, no opposition. It's a perfect relationship. And then Genesis chapter 3, in the moment, the Bible tells us the story of humanity, that humanity willfully stepped into disobedience and sin against God. And you have to recognize in Genesis 3 that, that the language that we would use, and, and, and it's not a perfect language, but it's, it's the, probably the closest language we understand in our culture, we had like a marriage relationship with God. It was this holy covenant that we were in with Him, this commitment that we had to Him. And in that moment of choosing sin, we cheated on God. He didn't cheat on us. He didn't sin against us. Sin was not from Him towards us. Sin from us moved from our direction towards God. And and in that moment, hostility arose. Not because of what God had done, but because of what we had chosen. We we chose sin. And then inherently from that moment on, the the history of the people of God and the humanity is that they lived in opposition to God. Not a God opposed to us but us opposed to Him, living in sin by our choices. If you have sinned in the last year, then in that it's a sign of the opposition that we naturally, apart from the work of God, apart from His movement towards us, that we live in opposition to Him. Sin is a part of our life. And as such, as such, we live in this, there's this hostility, this opposition, this wall. There's this barrier between us and God. It's not our barrier. It's our barrier. It's not his sin. It's our sin. It's not his cheating on us. It's our cheating on him. 
And so the message of, of the, whole, the whole Old Testament, Genesis all the way up to, to, to Malachi, is just this story of the people of God in opposition to him, always trying to get better, but not quite being able to turn the corner back into sin and opposition and living opposed to his will. And there's just this, this, this mean cycle. You see it for thousands of years. Every story, there's a blessing of God, the outpouring of God. There's a, usually a repentance. I'm sorry. God pouring himself out. People taking advantage of that. Then what? Then getting kind of numb to God, walking in disobedience. Then all of a sudden, God loving them enough to kind of discipline them. And they wake up and go, oh, how do we get here? We're sorry. God blessing them, being overwhelmed by it. Then them becoming numb again. It's this vicious cycle that they're in. Because in their own strength, they they could never do what God called them to do. They could, not, they could not take the divide and clear it. They could not get over it. They could not have this unity. And so God said, and somebody says, I, I know you can't. I want you to know that, that you know that you can't. That's the point. You need someone. And so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity not really having to communicate about it, said, what can we do? Hmm. New from the foundation of the world. The, human, the, 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 the humanity would find itself in this place, and they had a plan already. We're going to go. We're going to go. Because the idea is this. If, if you murder someone tomorrow, please don't, okay? But if you murder someone tomorrow... And we, and we told on you because we believe in justice, right? We told on you and, and you went to the judge and they, they sentenced you to a to, uh, hundred years in prison, right? hundred years in prison. And, and that's justice, right? And God lives in this place. I'm a just God because of your sin. There's penalty for your sin, right? And you're living this place. You keep on being disobedient. There's penalty for your sin. And all of a sudden... Stevie Leone walks up and pure holy, put your hand up in the air, Stephen. There he is right there. Here is Jesus to you, right? You murdered somebody and Stephen and I talk and we're like, he's like, I feel God leading me to take Janice's place. Janice murdered somebody. Don't do that, right, Janice? And so Janice is sitting there. We're having this conversation between the three of us. And Stephen says, goes to the judge and says, I want to take her place. I will take that penalty upon me. And in that moment, right, she is set, she's set free. And now she's in this beautiful place and he's taken the penalty. That is the, that's Easter. That's the message of the cross. That Jesus came seeing this, this void. I mean, this, this is not rocket science, even from the church. You know this story, right? But it's a story of reconciliation. He's saying there's, there's a divide here between, between me and you. And it's not coming from me, but I'm going to go ahead and move in power and clear the and I'm going to clear the gap. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to reconcile you to me. I'm going to bring harmony where there was discord. I'm going to bring life where there was death. I'm going to bring you into relationship where we did not have one. And so we live in just this beautiful story then of reconciliation. It's the work that God did for you and me. It's, we celebrate. 
He set us free. He made a way for us. He, he removed and says, you cheated on me, but I'm going to pursue you. And then for us, we have that choice of saying, God has done this work, right? That choice where he woos us. He says, I've done this work. I've called you to myself. And in that moment, we respond saying, yes, God, I turn from my sin. I, comm- I believe in you and I will now follow you for the rest of my life. And in that moment, he redeems us and we are reconciled to him. And we enter back into the relationship that Adam and Eve once had. You see that. You enter back into a relationship that Adam and Eve had. Now, what they, what they, did, not, what they did not have in uh, Genesis 1-3 through was sin was not present in the world. So we still live in a fallen world that's, that sin is around us, sin is knocking on our door, sin is calling out to us, sin is creeping into it, trying to get behind us, trying to produce idols. We talked about that for a long time, right? All this stuff going on, and it's all of us there, but we have the opportunity to move forward in the maturity and growing in our Christ likeness. We grow into, right? We pull into this relationship that Adam and Eve had with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Garden of Eden. That's what our goal and destiny is. And so we have this beautiful act of Jesus to bring about reconciliation. This is we celebrate a redemption. We celebrate now this idea of reconciliation we see in Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11. You see, friends, at just the right time, when we were all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were caught in sin, still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall I be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul's giving us good news. We celebrated Easter, this reality of reconciliation, not a work that I've done in the midst of my grievous sin, in the midst of, of, of crucifying God. He, we, we, we find this work of God to bring us back into relationship with him. And so as we come to Easter, we celebrate the fact that reconciliation, we celebrate if we don't know him, the fact that we can be reconciled to God, but we also celebrate if we are followers of Jesus, that already past tense, we have been reconciled, that we are now in relationship with him, and the same with the destiny of having a relationship like like Adam and Eve had with him. And that that should put us on some journey of desiring more than we're experiencing right now. It should awaken us to more. It should awaken us to a hunger Please don't go through Easter singing great Christmas, singing great Easter songs and come out of it with no celebration of redemption and reconciliation. It's changed the world. 
And we should go, oh, God, Easter is simply this. We're looking at this direction, missing the point. And every Easter is God's gift to awaken us to not what's coming, but to what's already come. It's present and we'll be there every day. And so we stand up every morning in celebration. God, I don't feel like I've been reconciled, but praise God, I have been. We live in the truth of reconciliation. And reconciliation is possible for one reason. Because God, out of his great love for you, forgave you. Whether Listen, he doesn't forgive you when you repent. He doesn't forgive you when you turn from your sin. The story of the prodigal, the prodigal son is that the father was already on the porch. And when he saw the son coming, he ran to him and didn't even listen to the repentance. He had already past tense forgiven him. The moment he sinned against him, he loved him so much, he forgave his offense in the moment. That's the work of the father coming already and meeting him for reconciliation. It's this beautiful work of the Father. He'd already forgiven him, right? In the story of reconciliation between God and humanity, God's forgiveness of our sin, it opened up the door for us to know him. It opened up the door for the world to enter into relationship with him. We celebrate this power. There's power in reconciliation. How do we know this? Because it takes a miracle to, for someone to forgive someone who has cheated on them, who has abused them, and who has wounded them. No one in their own strength can ever forgive someone who has brutalized them in life. It takes a miracle of God. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. Only God can. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Because listen, God's reconciled us so that we can celebrate it and then give us, given us, according to 1 Corinthians, a ministry of reconciliation. So when we come into Easter, we go, God, Thank you for what you've done for me. Yes, sir, I know what you've given me. You've given me reconciliation, and you've given me the ministry of reconciliation. I receive your forgiveness. Now I'm called to give it. So if you come into Easter, we have to recognize what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the beginning of reconciliation. Two parties stand opposed when they forgive one another. What happens? No reconciliation. There's no unity. No harmony that comes, up, comes up upon them in a in relationship, right? The only way there is reunification is that there is someone who begins the process of, of, of humbling themselves to bring forgiveness, even if they are the one who got most wronged. God, most wrong, pursued first forgiveness to open the door to reconciliation and so we stand in this place right forgiveness means the release of an offense we have been offended right we inherently understand the offense how many of you don't raise your hands you might think you're unholy but how well you should because we're all unholy right apart from jesus but but in our lives how many of us experience offense just this week Someone did something, said something, hurt your feelings, right? And we're like living in this place of offense. We're like, I say their name, you get a pit in your stomach. I say their name, you want to give them this right here. Bam, right? Something like that. That's what you want to do. 
Right? We live in this place of offense. We inherently understand, but the idea in the Greek understanding of forgiveness, it literally, I can't remember what you dropped. It was like, a, there was like in the Greek, and it meant this. You held a weight, and you felt the weight. You felt the heaviness. You felt the oppression of it, right? It was hard. It caused you to burn your arms. Like you felt the weight. But a forgiveness is, I take the weight and I release it. And that's this understanding, this from the Greek here of what Paul's writing about in this Greek understanding that, that you have this offense, you have this weight that you're carrying, it's overwhelming, it's too much for you, it causes you to hurt, right? But you choose to release the offense. You choose to release the offense. You're forgiving them, right? You're releasing the offense and you're no longer holding on to it, right? Jesus obviously modeled. We cheated on him. He no longer held it against us and he released the weight from it, right? So our response to this forgiveness, it must be in turn twofold. We fully receive and we fully give, right? We said earlier, while we were, uh, says, while we were sinners, Christ still died, while we were still living in offense to him, Christ died. When we were 100% fully and wholeheartedly opposed to him, we had never come to prove our, to prove our, 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 our repentance. He forgave us. While we were in our sin, right? But the problem we, we in a real practical level, we live in a, in a culture, right, that we believe people only receive something that they have earned, they prove it, right? We believe in a person receiving their wages after a hard, honest day's work. They receive what they earn. And so forgiveness, we, we want to see people sweat for a little bit. We want to see them crumble. We want to make sure that they understand how they've hurt us and how they've offended us and how weighty it is. We want them to know the full weight of how we've been impacted by it. We want them to feel bad. But the idea of forgiveness is this person in the middle of offense, I still take it and I release it, right? Because the economy of God's kingdom in regards to our salvation is different than this, right? That God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God expressed the power of forgiveness by showing the full extent of his love for us in the cross and his resurrection, right? And so we're called to do the same thing. Yet so many of us, we have a hard time receiving it because we feel like we have to earn it and prove it. You feel you feel like you've really repented if you've gone through a week of beating yourself up. You when you talk to somebody about it, you spend you go, but I know I'm a terrible person. And you spend like the first five minutes making sure that they know how bad you think you are. Right. And we're really good at that. Really good at beating ourselves up and telling ourselves how bad we are, right? We have this whole thing. We are nothing. We are worthless. We are this, right? We are just this. We're like the bottom feet. I don't know, bottom feeder, dweller, whatever it is. Like, we are awful. But when reconciliation has happened, then it's not true anymore. In our fallenness, yes, we were, but we have been fully redeemed and we have been reconciled to God. We have one Lord and master and he loves us. But we have a hard time receiving. And what I want to say is this. What I want to say is this. We're not able to give something 
that we have not fully received ourselves. We can't love well unless we have learned how to receive love well. We can't show mercy and grace well because we're not really good at showing ourselves mercy and grace when we fail. We can't forgive well because we can't receive forgiveness well. And so we live in this place with that and this being reconciled, but living under this lie that we are still awful and worthless when Jesus says, no, you're my child and you're my beloved. The prodigal son, when he walked, when the father put the, the ring on and the coat, of, the coat on his back, did the father lean and says, but you really suck. Did he really say that to him? You're really worthless and nothing. Did he really do that? He, says, he went to everybody and says, this is my son. Let's have a party. I've been wanting to reconcile with him. We've been separated. I, don't, I know what he's done, but all I know right now is he's got my coat on and my ring, and he's home. It's the only thing that I see. And the son can go, no, no, I really am terrible. I cheated on my father. I just made a terrible name of my family name. Oh, yeah, I slept with lot, all these women. And I drank all this alcohol. I'm really bad. Everybody, I'm really bad. My dad's, I'm really, really bad. I'm really bad. I'm terrible, terrible. Does he want you to do that? That's stupid. God says we're loved. We're redeemed and we're reconciled. Stop believing lies. And so we come in this moment, right? He says, receive reconciliation. Receive my forgiveness. And the flip side then is that we struggle because the call upon our lives is very simple. Now that you've been forgiven, now that you've received reconciliation, pursue it with everything inside of you to grant forgiveness and to, and to grant reconciliation to, from your side. From your side. Giving yourself to it, right? We read earlier, and actually Matthew 5, 44 says this. Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. In the midst of being persecuted, in the midst of being whipped, in the midst of being beaten, in the midst of being oppressed, love them, pray for them, and bless them. We've been forgiven. We've been reconciled on our parts as much as we can do. We're called to drop the weight, drop the offense, bring forgiveness, and offer reconciliation. Whether they choose it or not is up to them. But as far as you're concerned, you before the Lord, you are set free. You have asked forgiveness, and you have reconciled on your part. And that's all that God demands of you. Notice I said demand. That's all that God demands of you. We see this, and I just want you to know one of the most practical scriptures relating to our life is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and goes up to verse chapter 7. And notice, just really practical, straightforward. You don't, there's like not much hidden meaning. It says what it says, right? But we try to find hidden meanings. We don't like what it says. In chapter 6, verse 14 through 15, when Jesus says, Go and be reconciled to your brother or your sister, your family member, okay? Be reconciled to the, it's a, in some about Christian brother, right? Someone that you have opposition with, someone that you have this issue with, someone there's tension with, right? Go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. 
If you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others when they sin against you, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I'm just letting you know, that's kind of, it means what it means. Like, you're like, oh my gosh, you need to go get a, man, I need to get some sort of book to figure out what that really means. And it really means that it's like, there's this, when you don't forgive someone, listen, I want you to hear, everyone hear this. When you don't forgive someone, it means you have planted a demon of bitterness. And I said demon, yes, right? I mean, it's like a demon. It's like this horrendous, horrible wall you put up in your life of bitterness and of unforgiveness and of animosity and of hatred and of anger. And all of a sudden, God's grace can't flow in your life. His movement can't happen in your life. His spirit literally hits the wall and says, yes, we sang earlier, fill me up. And he goes, I can't. He literally can't. Yes, there are rocks too big for God to move. Unforgiveness is one of them. There are things in your life, he says, there's a, there's a wall, there's a dam, there's a demon of bitterness. There's, it's right there. Unforgiveness is sitting right there. And as much as I want to move, I can't. Jesus said, a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. He was only able to do a few miracles. There were things he could not do because they have lack of unbelief. And because of our walls of unforgiveness and bitterness and of hatred and of animosity and of anger that we allow to fester in our churches and in our own homes and in our families, God can't move. You want revival to come to the church? To get on your face before God and own your stuff. Own your sin. Own your unforgiveness. Own your bitterness. Listen, God's Spirit will not move at Vintage 242 Church because some of you are talking about me behind my back this week. And I don't even know who you are. But some of you were. And some of you are talking behind somebody else's back. And they may be sitting right next to you and you hugged them this morning. And all of a sudden, you put up a barrier at Vintage 242 and the Spirit can't move. And you're out here wanting to, like, get really festive and worship, and, and you're like, all this kind of stuff, and it's not working. Why? Because there's bitterness in your heart, there's unforgiveness, there's animosity, there's angry anger, there's hatred, because you're talking about somebody and not loving them. And I don't care if they offended you or not. They offend you, you are honest with the Lord about your hurt, and you immediately take the weight you take the barrier and you drop it. And when you do, I prayed for someone this morning, came up, said, this is where I've been. It's been great tension, great struggle. I've had this. I got some inner healing for unforgiveness. And she said this. I want you to hear this, everybody. She says, it felt like I got, it felt like it was, it felt like when I met Jesus when I was six years old. Oh, that's good. Oh, man. You want to talk about revival happening? Talk about a renewal of God's spirit in the church. Man, it begins with forgiveness. Who have you sinned against this week? Who have you talked about this week that God's going, that's it. Stop praying for more of my spirits. Listen to this. This is me telling you you're dying because you let sin live in your life of unforgiveness and you've held on to it thinking you've been justified because of what they did to you. 
do you know what you did to me? And I pursued you with my son, and I died for it. Listen, talk about somebody who gets it. Martin Luther King Jr., back in the 60s in the Civil Rights Movement, said this. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. As he's standing there getting beaten, spit upon, as he's having people, a whole people group, a bunch of white people, and it's in the South, completely against him and his own movement, his people, the people of God, people God loved. Our grandparents opposed to him. And he's saying, is he saying, hey, it's so easy. I love getting beaten. It's awesome. No, you read his autobiography, read anybody's autobiography who, who, who decides for a peaceful resistance. They had this moment of saying, when I hold on to my hatred, my unforgiveness, my anger and my bitterness, you know who it affects? Only me. It causes me to become half of the person that I was designed to be and causes my own that, ang- that anger, hatred, bitterness just begins to fester. And in his story, he would say forgiveness is the only thing that will release us from this overwhelming demon wall of bitterness and hatred and anger. We've been forgiven we are awakened to how powerful my sin was. And it causes me then, because I receive it well, to give it away well. I receive it well, so I can give it away well. Anger is not an option. Bitterness is not an option. Forgiveness and the pursuit of reconciliation was the only option. It's the only option. You see, in our forgiveness, we release the weight. It doesn't condone the person's sin. It doesn't make it okay what they did. We're just saying that it doesn't have power over us anymore. We're not coming alongside and saying, hey, it's okay that you did that or condone it. It's not, it's not, we're not saying, well, I'm just going to forget it and move on and never forget about it again. No, you'll continue to think about it, right? It's going to be present. It's going to be something God uses to, to build upon. It's going to use that in your life or to help somebody else, right? There's all these pieces, but forgiveness simply takes what we think is our right to retaliation and our right to judgment and puts God back on the throne of our lives and makes him the judge. Forgiveness makes you takes you off of the throne of the judgment seat and puts God back upon it. And what you can pray in humility is, God, I'm forgiving them. And I want to love them. You better judge them. (laughs) You know what I'm getting at? I mean, seriously, I release them. And I say that what we should have. I say that half jokingly, but the idea is God. Not like, oh, yeah, go get him, God. But God judged them according to who you see them to be. And we trust his judgment to be final and to be perfect so we don't have to retaliate and to judge. We feel released even from the judgment. Is it easy? Of course it's not. 
Of course it's not easy. But the idea is if God can forgive us, then we can forgive others. And God is calling us in this season at Vintage. I'll just tell you this very clearly. He's calling us to a spirit of unity at Vintage. And it's just not, it's not happening for some people. He's calling for unity in the church. And it's just not happening very well. Because people are, are I mean, in our culture, to be honest with you, because we, we are so bound by personal rights and personal freedoms. Like it was a gift that became something that bound us. And so we think we have the right to be offended. We have the right to get angry. We have the right to judge. We have the right. And God says, no, your only right is to die a horrible death. But I, I forgave you and reconciled you. You better do the same. So a story I read this week was by, from a guy named David. I'm not going to go his last name. is somewhere, somewhere, somebody you don't know. I just read the story. About this. When he was a kid, he was, abducted, he was abducted by somebody he did not know and sexually abused. And, and the guy then released him. He found his way home. But, of course, I mean, this is a, as a small, you know, small adolescent boy. I mean, this had an overwhelming impact, overwhelming effect on his life. And, and along the way, he found Jesus, gave his life to Jesus. Jesus wooed him. But in this, he still lived. I mean, as, as some of you personally know, that he experienced, even as a Christian, this this. Oh, this overwhelming sense of, 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 of hurt and of pain and of, and of animosity and this, this complete sense of depression and all of the things that would come along with this, with this great offense done to him. And he, and he strove, it's a strove, I'm not sure if strove is the word, but he would strive to, to forgive his person, right? He would strive with everything inside of him and just ask God, help me to forgive. And he said, I, I reached a place where it was never comfortable, but I'd reached a place of, of rest with it, right? That I'd, I'd forgiven this person. I'd moved on with the Lord until one day I got a phone call. It's from a nursing home in Florida. Hey, there's this man here by the name of so-and-so. And he said when you were a boy, he abducted you and sexually abused you. And he is in a terrible place and he wants to meet with you. And he just said in the moment, he's, I mean, I, and you can imagine, it's just like you have a flood of emotions, right? Have you ever heard the story of, of Corey Ten Boom? She's preaching in front of thousands, and, and she was Nazi, Nazi, uh, German Nazi uh, concentration camp, and, 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 and watched a lot of her friends die, experienced atrocities, things you've only read about, right? And, and she actually came to Christ in the concentration camp and watched the person led her to Christ get killed. And she looks down and sees the man on the front row, a guard, a Nazi guard, sitting on the front row at this, in, in this, at this conference. And she sees him. And all of a sudden, you can imagine, all these thoughts just well up. Everything that she had processed, she'd forgiven. Every, all the hatred, all the anger. And he's on the phone, David's on the phone, experiencing these emotions all over again. It's overwhelming. It's all this like back and forth, right? I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I hate him. And I love him, but I want to kill him. All these thoughts going through your heads. Corey Tinbin, one of the most holy women who's ever lived, is feeling this, right? And so David says, I, 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 I go down there. Corey Tinboom, she walks off the stage and goes down to this man, right? And the man looks at her and just says, do you know who I am? She goes, yes, <laughs> I know who you are. David walks into this room. And in both situations, they're looking at the, really their captor, their oppressor. And they're both broken. They are riddled with bitterness and 
and anger has just gotten so much of them. They, death has just encroached on, the, on their lives and they're undone. This man sitting here, right? It's this man looking at Corey Tinbim says, I am so sorry. And he just begins to weep. And she said, all of a sudden, every weight that I carried was released and I felt the love of God for this man. She said, I leaned in and forgave him. And I embraced him and told him, brother, I love you in Christ. David looks at this man who's just laying in bed. And he said, all of a sudden, I just walk over. And we had this moment. He said, I just looked at the man and just said, with this, he said, with this, this release of a weight like I've never known before in forgiveness. And this release of a weight like I've never known. Like, a, like you're saved all over again. He said, I forgive you. And he said in the moment, he said, the only thought that came to me was this. No one should die alone. And he said, and I committed in that moment to spend the rest of his life in relationship with and loving on him. And at least three times a week, I would come with my wife and my two kids, and we would hang out. We had this reconciliation. Uh, we would, I loved him. He loved me. And he died full of Jesus. You see, forgiveness takes the weight that you feel, that you live under, the anger, the animosity, the oppression, the difficulty, the hardship, because unforgiveness and bitterness really only impacts you. It does not ever really impact the one who oppressed you, right? And all of a sudden you release it before God. And you do what you can on your side for reconciliation. And as you do that, is it easy? Of course not. Do you want to? Probably not. Will it make everything go away and make you feel 100% better? Possibly not. But there will be a release before God. And in time, God will redeem this. He will remove the slavery of it from you. And you will be fully redeemed chains off, reconciled to God with unity and harmony as much as you can handle it with the person who oppressed you. And in that, God's Spirit has no barriers and is then free to move. And the prayers that you've been praying for the fullness, fill me up, God is actually then able to do. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we sit here this morning, Lord, we praise you for Easter. And Father, this morning, I pray that you would come with the weight of your conviction. God, how have we slandered someone this week? God, how have we not forgiven someone? God, who have we not forgiven? God, where have we hurt someone with our words? Where have we caused disunity to be cultivated in the place where you're demanding unity? God, where are we dying and crying out for you, but we're not letting you put your finger on the areas of unforgiveness in our hearts? 
God, where are the areas that we've forgiven you up to a certain level, but you're calling us to a new level of forgiveness in the journey that we're on with you? God, where is it this morning that, Lord, we are, that we've just been wounded and you want to show us your love for us? God, where is the place, God, where we're not forgiving ourselves for sin that we've chosen? Where you're saying, but you're already reconciled to me. Hmm. I see uh, God showing me people this morning who this applies to. I sense the Lord moving and stirring in this. I want to encourage you to dive into it. I'll be praying for you this morning. Because God wants to do this work of restoration. This morning, as we come into our community, excuse me, come into our uh, time of worship. If you need to go this morning, you're free. I know I've run late, and so if you need to go. Feel free to go. If you ever offer.